Welcome to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Hey, welcome to this edition of Breaking Bad News. I'm Jeff Hahn. I'm joined virtually by my co-host, Jenny Gagorsik. Jenny, we are in a pandemic. We cannot see each other except through video. Um, how's life at home? Hey there, Jeff. Uh, you know, we're, we're certainly hanging in, hanging in there over here. It's, I'll say, interesting to be quarantined with a three-year-old and a seven, gosh, now eight-month-old baby. Um, maybe interesting isn't the best word. But yeah, you know, we've got our jobs and we've got our health. And so there's a lot of feelings of gratitude over here. How about you? Well, um, I am grateful as well. We're all very healthy and we've discovered a new beverage that's helping our household maintain a, a very nice level of friendship and fellowship. It's called the Quarantini. Oh, fantastic. How do you make your Quarantinis? You take every bottle of liquor out of your cabinet and dump it into a pitcher and you drink it. <laughs> it sounds great at 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yep. Well, good. I'm glad you're doing okay. You just want to take the edge off the day, don't you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it is a weird time for us all. And you know, you got your, your kids. My gosh, your daughter's going to have her driver's license before the first time I ever get to see her. <laughs> and, um, and you've got your, you got your kids, you got your health, you got your job. Um, all of those things are challenges, but they're also good things to be grateful for. And, you know, as I think we were talking about on last episode, we're thinking about everyone else who's listening to our podcast and hoping and praying that uh, everyone is navigating this very challenging upside down time uh, and being safe and taking some time out to uh, take care of themselves. It's a funny time to be talking about food recalls too. I, I'm thinking, um, gosh, in the middle of a pandemic, do we even be talking about these? But they are in fact happening, right? Yeah, they, they sure are. Food recalls are still continuing. And I'll tell you, I have absolutely no data to back this up. But my hunch is that because people are eating at home significantly more than they have been, they're also probably paying more attention to recalls right now, perhaps. Well, it's an interesting theory. You know, I can imagine why you get there because um, there's so, there, there's a high um, degree of interest and concern about the safety of food right now. There's uh, contamination. Um, just about every aspect of life, including food, is now subject to a COVID-19 lens. It's and, true. It's yeah. true, Jeff, too. And just to add on to that, you know, in our food forecast 2020, um, that feels like many moons ago, we talked about the trend towards more sustainable packaging, less packaging that consumers were really looking for. And um, it's interesting now what we're seeing is that consumers want more packaging because they perceive it to be safer. So interesting time. Yeah, it's a real challenge and a challenge for all of the workers in the food industry too. They're on the front lines of this tension 
and putting their own personal health and safety on the line to keep us all fed. So a big high five to those who are in the food industry, uh, making it happen in a very challenging time. Oh gosh, right on. I would definitely say a big, huge thanks to all of those frontline workers. And interestingly enough, we're going to actually come back to that theme when we talk about our recall of the month. But for now, I um, wanted to go back to your question about our recall still happening during this pandemic and did some digging into this. And the short answer is, of course, yes. But I wanted to find out if we were seeing more, less, or the same number of recalls as normal. So I asked our wonderful research team to help me help me find that out. Oh, yeah, the team can, they, they can uncover a lot. It's amazing how many rocks they can kick over. What'd they find out? Yeah, they're, they're pretty awesome. So they looked at recall volume from this date range, March 15th to April 12th of 2019. And then they looked at recalls for the, that same period, March 15th to April 12th of 2020. And what they found was that for the time period in 2019, there were 27 recalls. And for that same time period in 2020, there were only 15. So mm. nearly half the number of recalls in 2020 as compared to 2019. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, okay. You're going to tell me why that is. Yes. I was going to say, you're probably wondering why that is. And, you know, my theory is probably this. My th I, not probably. My theory is this. Food manufacturers are doubling down on sanitation right now. Same for restaurants too. Um, so, you know, they are really stepping up sanitation, hand washing, things like that. So they are paying more attention to food safety than ever and trying to keep their people healthy. Um, and I also wonder if staffing at regulatory agencies has been reduced at all. So we're seeing less detection. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure at all. That's just a question I'm lobbing out into the universe. I hope not. And if anyone knows, you know, feel free to drop me a line. But um, is it possible that there is just simply fewer fewer inspectors out there right now? Again, I don't oh, know. Interesting. So Could maybe be. an in inverse correlation there going on. M maybe not fewer inspectors just diverted into different kinds of directions. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I have to hand it to the research team. You know, we're so used to just shoving pizzas under the door and not looking them in the eye. Um, that it's, uh, but they still come up with uh, great insight and information for us. Now that they're remote, I've, I sort of kind of miss seeing them, even though I never spoke to them before. <laughs> well, you know what? Our research team is one of the few people that listens to this podcast. So I think we should give them some love and say, we love you research team. And thank you for all that you do. And yes, we will look you in the eyes next time we see you. <laughs> I already do, but <laughs> uh, right, yes, everything you just said is what I meant to say. <laughs> it just didn't come out that way. <laughs> well, there may not have been a lot of uh, recalls, but we do know there was at least one recall that caught your eye because this is the recall of the month podcast. You mentioned earlier it was tied to frontline food industry workers. Are you going to tell us who it is? I am, but not just yet. I have to keep the suspense going. So let's well, take a break. Always, this is what you always do, Jenny, but okay. We're I do. I do. We're always going to take a break before we reveal the, the recall of the month. But when we come back, I'll tell you all about it, Jeff. Can't wait. 
This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one, because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Welcome back to the second half of our Recall of the Month featuring April 2020 recalls. On Recall of the Month, we like to dive into how the news media treated a particular recall, and we look for patterns to figure out why a certain recall got a lot, or in some cases, not a lot of attention. My partner Jenny tells this month's Recall of the Month has something to do with food industry workers on the front lines during the COVID-19 pandemic. So Jenny, you're going to need to reveal something a little bit more about what you mean by all of that. I sure am. Don't you love all my clues? <laughs> it's like uh, you're like the mystery machine on Scooby-Doo. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me, Jeff. <laughs> okay, here we go. And, and hang in with me, okay? Uh, okay? I think it's a little bit of a winding path we have to go down together to get to this month's recall of the month, but okay. I'm going to hang with you. I can do it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. This month's recall of the month is on Jowett Farms Corporation, and this is a Canadian company uh, for their recall on pork products that were produced without benefit of import inspection. Um, um... Without benefit of import inspection, this feels different, I'm, but I'm not sure I'm tracking with you. Not yet, I know. Here's the thing. We were talking about frontline food industry workers and given all the love and kudos to them, we know they're putting their health and safety online to, to keep our country fed and that's fantastic. Um, we've also seen quite a bit of news over the past couple of weeks um, about our food production facilities, um, especially a lot of them in the meat industry, um, and you know some of them having to close down because their employees were sick with COVID nineteen. Um, you know it happened at a big Tyson plant, yep. Um, yep. several other several other places. Um, there was a big Smithfield Smithfield plant that got closed down as well, right? Yep. 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 There's been been several of them, and so you know if we're talking about just the meat industry, for example that's millions of pounds of meat that are going unprocessed. Um, and, you know, those are millions of pounds of meat that aren't going to show up on grocery store shelves in the coming weeks. Not that, you know, um, we're expecting huge shortages. Please don't go out and panic shop or hoard. But, um, you know, it is, I think it's, it's certainly an, an issue for the industry. Yeah, and I've been following it as well. Um, I may have told you, I think I've told you that my sister actually works in um, – a Tyson uh, meat processing plant up in Northeast Iowa. She's a safety manager there. So I get a little bit more uh, detail and insight into this conversation than most. Um, it is a challenging time for producers because if their packers and processors aren't open, they don't have anywhere to send their product. Um, and I think, and what I'm hearing from my sister is that the industry's doing a tremendous amount to adapt to the conditions and requirements that COVID-19 is bringing them. For example, um, the, the shifts 
come in now through a, like she explained it, it sounded like a thousand foot long tunnel where they have temperature scanners. And if a temperature scan finds you at 99.5 degrees or above, you are plucked out and sent home right away. All of the, the workers have been separated. Those lines are not designed that way. Not, the mechanical engineering of the lines is different, but they're separating their workers significantly. They're, they're in protective gear. So um, you've got this really challenging situation where, yes, you need to respond to the uh, needs or, or the requirements of COVID-19 by keeping workers as healthy as possible and safe as possible, but we also have a nation to feed. And so all of these things create a lot of uh, tension in the marketplace. Um, but I, I'm not, um, I'm not e exactly uh, lined up with your selection of a Canadian company uh, as the recall of the month because of an import inspection issue. Uh -huh. so how do you connect the dots here? Yep. And I'll get there. But I think, you know, just to go back to your sister's job, I think that's wonderful to hear the steps that they're taking. And I hope that they can continue to stay open and stay healthy so they can, they can feed America. That's, that's yeah. really great, really great news to hear. But so far, you, so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think, um, you know, you asked me to connect the dots here from frontline food industry workers to this Canadian recall. Yeah. and here's what I'm thinking. I'm wondering if in the next few weeks, as we see perhaps other food manufacturing facilities have to close because of COVID impacts on their staff, they just simply can't, can't staff their operations. Are we going to see a sharp uptick in food imports? Uh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're connecting a trend, a possible trend. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And so if so, import inspections, which is not something that we have spent much time on this podcast talking about, will become even more important. And so I think that's why this recall is really relevant and timely for us. Yeah, I see. It took a little bit for me to connect the dots, but um, you're flagging this as recall of the month because of the in import inspection label. That's uh, a specific fact about this one, but you also see the potential of that being an even bigger phenomena as uh, we're stressed in terms of our total processing capacity across the country. Exactly, exactly. Um, what was, uh, how much, uh, what was affected by this? How much got, how much product got stopped and what was the recall? Well, in this particular recall, it was about 43,000 pounds of sausages and bratwurst. Um, but you may have heard me say that it was for re-inspection upon import. And that's because this was um, a little bit interesting. The pork trimmings used in the product were actually imported on April 2nd and processed into sausage products, um, including bratwurst and Italian sausage that were sold by Jewel Osco. Oh, I, okay. So there's multiple steps in this, in the production process. Um, and those multiple steps had this product crossing international borders. I got it. Multiple. Um, yep. And so, yeah, it sort of got snagged in uh, the inspection process and the tagging process. Okay. I'm with you. And um Typically, what we like to ask ourselves is, okay, well, that's interesting, and uh, there's all kinds of uh, complexities here, but 
one of the caveats for recall of the month is that it made some news. Did this make some news? It did, but you know, it was a, a relatively small recall um, and no one got sick from it. It was a labeling issue and an inspection issue an inspection issue, excuse me. So we only saw about 65 stories on this particular recall, which in comparison is much, much smaller than the, what, 350 stories we saw last month on that healthy choice uh, recall, those poor guys that had the rocks in their, in their chicken bowls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. by the way, did they take you up on your offer that they could substitute the rocks for diamonds and have a one uh, and a huge promotional special on those things. You know, I'm shocked that I haven't heard from them yet, but yeah, we'll huh. see. You're yeah. in the phone book. I mean, it's not like you're hard to find. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, but you know, I think again, while this was a smaller recall and generated a smaller volume of coverage, I think if we do see an uptick in imports because there's some kind of big hit to domestic food production, um, maybe we would see more coverage on the international regulations um, of food safety. Yeah, I can see that. I can imagine how the headlines might shift is that regulators recalling products over labels in a time of food shortage. And can you imagine how the, the narrative might turn against um, safety regulations in order to try to loosen them up a little bit? Oh, sure. I can, I can certainly see that. And I think, you know, um, there's also, from what I'm reading, products that we have an oversupply of, um, you know, uh, also in the, in the, on the meat side too. Um, so exports are, are largely up to South Korea and other places. So I think it goes, goes both ways, uh, both on the importing and export side. It's part of the complexity of international regulations. I mean, there's like dictionaries uh, so, uh, that are associated with the international regulation of foods. Is there, mm, I don't know, maybe do you have a Reader's Digest version on uh, what's in these regulations that makes it easy for us to understand why snags like these at international borders and through the, the labeling process occur? Oh gosh, great, great question. Um, a Reader's Digest version on how we regulate food safety on imported food. Um, you know, I would say in summary, it's a little bit of a patchwork. I think our regulators do a lot to keep processes consistent, but the truth is that processes from different exporting countries can vary pretty wildly. Right. Um, there, is no, there is no international standard. No, there, there's not. There's not um, other than, you know, what's set forth in the U.S. by USDA and FDA. Um, so I think, you know, in the, in the U.S., um, if you're a domestic food production company, then FDA has field offices where they can access your facility, they can inspect your facility, they know where you are, what your operation looks like. Um, there's very strict, rigid U.S. food safety laws. Um, you know, we know from a um, farming perspective and processing perspective, they also have very specific rules on things like pesticides and um, additives and colors and all of those different different things. It's, it's a very tightly regulated industry. Same for, um, you know, antibiotics used in meat production, um, you know, 
really anything that falls in our food supply is significantly regulated in, in the U.S. Um, on the import side, you have to think about these foreign producers might have a hard time understanding or um, even accessing the FDA requirements, although I know regulators have pushed harder to uh, even you know, provide things in more languages through their website, um, but they may not have access to pesticides that are EPA approved, um, you know, veterinarian drugs that are approved by the FDA, um, or they just may simply not do their homework like they should. Um, so I think, you know, it's, like I said, it's definitely a, a patchwork, um, and it's, it's a really hard thing for regulators to enforce, you know, a global food supply um, and those global regulations and how they differ so much. Um, you know, it, it's just a really big challenge. It's much easier to do here domestically. Um, but, you know, China's policies and procedures are very different from Mexico's, for example. And so, um, trying to reconcile those two and make sure that the food that's coming in is safe is really challenging. Jenny, you remember that game? It was very popular in the eighties. Like it's called trivial pursuit. Oh yeah. I love that game, but nothing of what you just said allows me to win trivial pursuit. It's a super detailed stuff. <laughs> Sorry about that. But uh, you know, you've got plenty of useless trivia that I would imagine, I would imagine you're pretty good at that game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, my relationship to uselessness is pretty tight, so you're not wrong. <laughs> I did learn a lot from this episode, though, and, you know, sorry for our recall of the month pick. It was one of those kinds of things that um, feels like paperwork, maybe not about quality, but uh, still one of the fascinating aspects of how food gets from the field or the farm to our forks. and. Good to know, good for our audience to understand all of these different complexities, and I'm sure glad you do. Well, glad, glad to hear it, Jeff, and glad to be of service. Good pick this week, Jenny, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. Hope you're all staying safe and healthy, and we'll see you next month. Sounds great. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jenny. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. It really helps.